How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the Jesse Nyberg podcast. The guest today is myself. So I know it's a little bit different, but I haven't done a solo one since the first episode. So it's been a while and we're all the way to episode 60 now. I wanted to do this one as not only like a Q&A, but also just kind of an update and something I can talk about stuff a little bit more longer form rather than trying to, you know, pack it all into like a really small video like I would for YouTube. So I put up a poll on Instagram as well as in my Discord and on Twitter, basically asking me for questions that I should answer because I, you know, once I started thinking, all right, I'm going to do another solo episode. I got a little bit nervous because it's a lot easier to bounce ideas off of when you have a guest, but when you're alone, you know, you have to come up with all the stuff yourself, basically. So I thought people always ask me stuff. People have asked me to do a Q&A in the past, but I felt like it's a little strange just for a basic YouTube video. So I thought, let's do it as kind of like a podcast. So what has changed since you started the podcast? This is something that I've been thinking about actually lately and a lot has changed since I started the podcast. I mean, when I first started it, I was in this office. It looked completely different. I didn't have the same lighting. I didn't have this dynamic mic. Half the episodes I was recording with my mini fridge on, which I realized was the culprit of this weird, you know, ringing noise in the background. I mean, that's some of the technical stuff. I've gotten better lighting. I also feel like I've gotten far better at interviewing. I do a better job at keeping the conversation going and things. I feel like what's mostly changed is I'm freelance now, which is an insanely different thing. When I first started, I still had my job. I was recording every episode on the weekends. That way I could still do all my job trying to edit the videos, the podcast, everything while still working. That was pretty tough. So being solely freelance now, especially when I have more downtime, like January was pretty slow. I have a lot of time to put into the podcast and the YouTube channel. So I usually use those lulls to get ahead and really like advance the channel and personal brand and content creation and whatnot when other times are slow in terms of freelance work. So that's changed. I mean, the pandemic is kind of still going. It's kind of changed. I didn't start right in the COVID had already been going on when I started. So that hasn't been a big change. It's a little bit different though. It's eased up. It's eased back down. You know, it's been a lot of stuff going on. I I honestly didn't think we'd still be in this situation at this point, but I mean, I'm doing most of this remotely anyway, so it's not really an issue, but I do want to eventually get a studio where I can do in-person podcasts. A lot will still be over some kind of remote service like this, I'm guessing, because everyone's not going to be out here in LA. But I really want to do that for the local guests, and I feel like it'll elevate it. But we're either going to need to get a little bit more viewership so that Google AdSense can go up, get some more sponsors, or some other kind of funding until we do that. But hopefully by the end of the year, we can I can figure out some more stuff for the podcast and elevate it even more. I do appreciate all you guys listening and it's a cool feeling to even just seeing how it's grow. Like even thinking about how it's changed, I'm reflecting on all the different people I've talked to and all the stuff I've gotten to do and opportunities and people I've met from it. And I, I really like it. And I think I, I recommend it. I've seen a few other design podcasts popping up, which is cool. And I think, you know, for a second I thought maybe, oh, is this going to be competition? Is this going to be, you know, take away from what I'm doing, but it really doesn't. And at the end of the day, 
more people listening to other people's design podcasts is still more people listening to design podcasts in general. So it'll just elevate everything in the community up altogether. Uh, This next question is, what trends do you see happening this year? I think this one is hard to say. I mean, we've obviously kind of went through the Y2K trend, uh, everything from fashion to graphic design to like all kinds of different design has been in that almost futuristic. Like it's not the same as the Y2K when it was that time. It's almost like a, a... futuristic version of it and like what they think it was like more um same with the 90s all the vintage clothes and things uh I don't I'm not quite sure what trends I see happening I think I do see kind of this magazine you know 80s ad style it's popped up really big I wrote about it in my newsletter recently you can check that out in the description the review glues letter so I call it but I've noticed that pop up a lot and I think it's cool because I really like that style but I think with trends when they're cool like that and they start to hit the mainstream people quickly get burnt out on them so I see that and the y2k thing going out as a trend maybe like that stuff dying down a little bit because it got I don't think it got overused I think it got in general I think it gets overused by the wrong people when something becomes so popular it's easy for people to replicate it and copy it and then it can get kind of watered down and worse and worse as it goes on like I see that a lot within the 3d community and stuff there's like it seems like there's you know a handful of people that have kind of elevated the style of like chrome and 3d and different um, human figures and stuff and it's all kind of trickled down all the way to like the people that are still learning and it's you know everything kind of starts to look similar sometimes that's also happened with um you know, plastic textures, the copy scan texture, things like that. I think a trend though I would like to see and I think may happen is a more renaissance to analog. Like that's why I called that Behance project I did Ode to Analog because I started doing a lot more of my own analog stuff and I really like that feel of it and creating your own textures and creating some, you know, human error and little inconsistencies. I see a lot more people kind of getting into analog and I think that might be That's a good trend because it's not something that everyone can just replicate because everyone's going to do something different once you get into the physical space. Like everyone can use the same texture, but not everyone can create the same exact texture in their house. It'll always look a little bit different. So I see that kind of becoming a trend. And if it does, I'm, I'm here for it. So this next question someone asked me was how important are qualifications and experience? Does does self taught hinder your growth? And I always think that like I'm not self-taught personally I'm hmm, I am self-taught but I did go to school I feel like it's hard to say like I don't think it's one or the other I taught so much of myself stuff probably 80% of what I know is self-taught or learned from experience but I also did go to college I don't think being self-taught necessarily hinders like your growth or your potential or anything if you're a good designer you're a good designer if you've learned how to do something and do it well any type of creative you are, even artist, photographer, then I think you're going to be all right and you're going to make it for yourself. But I don't think, you know, self-taught is for everyone. Some people don't have the discipline or some people don't have the groundwork or the resources to do all this stuff for themselves. I think we live in a world where everyone wants to romanticize, you know, doing stuff on your own, being a freelancer and not going to school, kind of like you know, people say like Bill Gates dropped out of college or Steve Jobs or whatever shit like that. But I think it's 
if it was bad for everyone, I don't think the system would still exist. So I think uh, what I would say is you're not going to, you can still make it being self-taught, but it'll be a lot easier for you to get like a career job or a job as an employee if you have a degree. Because you have to excel really high up for them to look over that. It's a stupid system, but that's the game we're in. And I think some people spend so much time trying to change the game that we're playing that they don't even end up playing it, you know? Like, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. But I think it's up to you. If you have the resources, especially if you live in the non-US, it's easy to go to school. It's, like, free seems like from all the people in Europe I talked to. So this one was kind of interesting. So someone asked, which guest has impressed or surprised me the most? And it's hard to name just one thing, you know, but I think uh, I'll name some of the things that have kind of surprised me. So Foy Graphics, uh, Foy, she a uh, talented designer and musician. I had her on recently and I always thought that she was this like indie artist who does this drone music that happens to design. And I was surprised when she's actually a graphic designer and that's her main passion. And the music thing was just like a side project. It just happened to blow up also. That was an interesting one. Um, I was very impressed by Intranet Girl. I thought our conversation flowed super well. She was very like well-spoken she like told the the ideas that she had she expressed them like in great detail she's easy to talk to and just overall seemed like a really cool person and I I was one of my favorite episodes personally and I also think it was cool hearing more about her background and her parents being like kind of higher up scholars and her having this computer science degree and kind of doing this YouTube 3D thing by accident and kind of blowing up And I felt like that one just had a lot of um, cool little intricacies in it. Heasy also from Black Market. That was one of my other favorites. It was really cool hearing the story of him pretty much starting this company by himself, sending people, you know, pictures. I'm going to start this asset company with, you know, pictures of paper lying around and plastic and things. And now he has like, you know, I think four or five employees in this whole whole ass studio and office and in Idaho, I believe. And that was cool. Um, another thing that really surprised me, Hannah Webb, uh, the Obanoth, she was a, or Theo Banith, I'm sure that was one of the things we talked about, people don't know how to say her name, but she's a really talented artist who paints on acrylic, and she's so talented and has so much reach online, I was super surprised when she told me that she still has a day job, and I think that she was kind of an anomaly in that situation, like she had the potential and she had the resources and the income to be a full time artist. And she still decided to work and bring in that extra income. And I thought that was an interesting approach because it seems like most people, the first second they can uh, stop what they're doing and go full on like working for themselves, they will. But she took a different approach. So that was cool kind of hearing that other perspective. All the guests I've had on to me are interesting and impressive and usually surprising and because I don't know a lot about them most of the time. Some are my friends beforehand, some are my friends after, during, before. Some, you know, we don't talk that much and then others, we have a pretty cool relationship now. So, and also like, I wouldn't have someone on if I didn't find them interesting or I wasn't curious about what they do. Like, that's the whole point. I want to produce stuff for you guys that's entertaining enough and, you know, find out about people that normally don't get 
the spotlight sometimes in like interviews and things. So I think it's overall cool and I don't want to, you know, belittle or say anyone else isn't impressive or surprising. That was just some of the ones that popped off my head right away. Um, so this next question, I think I've talked about this, you know, probably on the channel or in the first uh, origin story podcast, the first episode, but what first got me into design I got first into design when I was in high school. I took a class called Visual Communication. Shout out Mr. Murray, San Dimas High School. I learned Illustrator in that class. Uh, I had to trace the pen tool, or I had to trace the Batman logo with the pen tool, which was like a cool challenge. And I noticed a lot of people don't use Illustrator, so I don't know how. I learned that one first, which was very helpful because I think it's a lot more intimidating to make the jump to from Photoshop to Illustrator than vice versa. And I got, I started, I learned how to screen print a little bit in there. We did bleach, uh, cut out tees uh, where you stain it with bleach, just stuff like that. We made movie posters and Photoshop and everyone kind of took the class as like a joke or an easy elective, but I really liked it. So I ended up taking it for two years and then TAing for the teacher the next year. And I actually went to college and I thought, you know, I want to be a designer. I didn't really know this was a thing, but they have this. So when I went to Chico State, I signed up for the orientation for design and went there in the summer. And then I kind of started panicking. I thought, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make money as a designer. Like everyone was kind of giving me shit like, oh, well, you're going to be like a struggling artist and, and things like this. And it got to me. So I switched to business. And then, you know, the first week I did a few business things and I was like, this is nonsense. I'd rather make a little bit less money and do something I like. And I realized that's not necessarily the case. You don't have to make less money. And from there I did design in college. And I guess to go back to like a more uh, fundamental level and like why I think I got into it in the first place was I always was very curious and creative. And I think I like to design in times I didn't even know that's what I was doing. I was obsessed with word art when writing even papers in elementary school. I feel like I was always drawn to like typography and cared about fonts, even though like that was something no one really cared about in middle school or elementary school. Uh, I was not always the best person at drawing and I wasn't even necessarily the kid who was always sketching or anything like that. And I felt like for a while I was put off from design and art because my raw like fine art drawing fun fundamentals aren't very strong. But I think that's what drew me more even to design is I realized that everything isn't like illustrative or drawn. There's other ways to approach graphic design and get into it. So that was cool. And it, it kind of helped with some of my imposter syndrome and made me realize like, oh shit, like I can actually, I can do this without it being, you know, like illustration or whatever. And that was a relief. And also I think sparked some more of the passion for me there. And ever since I kind of got into it in college, I, even when I started freelancing, like I've just been liking it ever since and I obviously like it enough to make also shit centered around it like the podcast and the YouTube channel and when I get stuff messages from people saying like oh I appreciate it or oh I like that you uh I like you as a designer or thank you for the help or anything from young people like it does mean a lot and it doesn't go like forgotten and I try to reply to everyone and just you know because I I did that to other people and I, I was like wanted people to watch and make stuff so that's kind of why I started this like make the shit you want to see you know but let's get on to the next thing so something I learned from talking to so many designers um 
I mean, I pretty much like everything that I've learned from talking to these people is how different everyone is and what the, their approach to design and creativity and their workflow. I mean, everyone has a different way of doing things. Not one thing is right or wrong. That's one thing I realized. And seeing that, I think, also helped me grow as a designer and as an individual because it reinforced the way that I do things. It can be like correct. It's not or not even that there is no correct. It's that what I'm doing is fine and that my workflow is fine. This person's workflow is fine. So is theirs. It's doing things the way you want, figuring out a system that works for you and sticking with it. I think that's what I learned that a lot of these people have done and including myself trying to do that. And that's like kind of a relief and an inspiration both in itself. I also learned that the right type of people don't need higher education, but I say the right type of people because I spoke about this a little bit earlier, but I don't think skipping higher education is recommended for everyone. If you don't know, have a path or you don't know exactly what you want to do, I don't think it's a bad idea to go to university, college, whatever it is that you have. And I think like we should, we should hate on it in the ways that it's wrong and exploitive, but we should give it a chance and try to be objective when we talk about people pursuing their careers, because I know it can be scary not knowing what you want to do. And that time in your life helps you figure stuff out. I always tell people, I don't recommend for myself that I like learned a lot in design school, but I recommend, I don't regret going. The stuff I learned from being there and stuff was very valuable. Um, another thing that I learned was that there's a big divide in, in who people like are aware of and know. So Aaron Draplin, a lot of people tell me to have him on the podcast. I already have. So, you know, maybe I'll link that in the description or you can check it out. I think it was episode nine. But there's people I know in Europe and other parts of non-US that didn't even know who he was. And I was so surprised because he's been my favorite designer pretty much since I got into design. And I always looked up to him and having him on was just huge and very uh, like a cool accomplishment for me in its own right. But a lot of people didn't know who he was and I was surprised and I was like, especially in Europe. But then they knew people like these younger designers like Obi and Japari, Mona Thomas, people like that. And I didn't even know who they were, you know, and they almost had this bigger draw than Aaron Draplin and bigger intrigue from the younger designers in the community. So that kind of thing is something I learned is like not everyone knows the same stuff or is into the same types of design as I am. And it made me realize like there's even more so many little niches and pockets and communities in this in this space than I even thought. Um, this next question is, how has the way you approach design changed due to the podcast? So like I said before, it helped reinforce, reinforce my workflow and know that what I'm doing must be kind of working because it's worked for me so far. And I've also leaned more towards like art, I guess you could say. Um, before I used to probably be a little bit more in the tribe of design is an art, you know, arts for you design is for, you know, the client or whatever. But I realized that they're, they're not one or the other, you know, there's a lot of mutual relationships between art and design. And a lot of the stuff I just post online is art because there is no real purpose from this graphic design that I'm creating just to, unless I'm communicating a specific message or creating something for a client or trying to solve a problem, then it's more art than it is like traditional design. But 
I'm a designer, I would say, not an artist. So I think they live a lot more together. And I've learned that there is like they do coexist. And I think that that rigid way of thinking is it's one of the other is, is old school. And I don't think that's the approach for the future. So I've learned that. And that kind of freed me up to be more experimental, I think, and kind of feel like I found my voice a little bit more and my style in terms of just creating often. Um, yeah, less imposter syndrome, more confident, I think, you know, uh, just from doing this it's like helped me you know bounce ideas off other people hear what they have to say hear how they do things and you know every single person you meet knows something that you don't know so even if you take a little bit from them it helps you like in the future it can help you as an individual grow it can help you grow as a designer just as a creative and overall, like that's the thing I really like about doing this podcast is I can take a little bit of cool information from each person, pass it on to other people. And everyone's like collective kind of creativity, I think, increases that way. And I also think I've tried tried a lot of new things. Yeah, like back to experimenting, which has been has been cool and it's been fun, like getting outside of my comfort zone a little bit and planning on trying to figure out some more stuff I can do to kind of you know, expand on what I already, what I already know and my practice currently. What is your favorite thing to do on a rainy day? My favorite thing to do on a rainy day is either, you know, hang out with my girlfriend, relax, watch a movie, TV show, preferably a TV show. I get kind of bored watching movies at the house, but like when it's just in that environment, like going to the theater, reading. I like reading when it's raining. I like working when it's raining too. I know that's not like chill vibes rainy day like people like more associate that with relaxing i feel like but it kind of i like the ambiance of hearing the rain and like the cloudy skies and just working with the window open that's one of my favorite things to do so probably those three are play some video games too so someone in the discord asked me this and i wanted to touch on this one and i feel like i don't know sometimes i don't think i have the most popular opinion on this subject but they say how do you balance creating and taking breaks to create to prevent creative burnout. So I feel like from talking to a lot of people, it seems like the greatest people at things kind of maybe sacrifice their mental health or free time or breaks or the chance of having a burnout for the sake of achieving something they really want to do. And I think a lot of people don't like hearing that because the other camp of people, there's this whole other side of things where I also kind of agree with that we need to advocate for mental health and we're not just born to work and, and then die. But the same people that do this really hard work and maybe don't take as much breaks as you should, they also say like, oh, at mental health or oh, we you need to take breaks. But they didn't really practice what they preach. And I feel I do that sometimes where I talk about, I try to be an advocate for free time and not working yourself too hard, but then I don't do that. So maybe there's a method to the madness on working too hard and risking the burnout. Maybe risking the burnout is the only way to achieve like something really great, but I'm not sure. I haven't quite figured it out, but I would say I balance it by just more enjoying the the grind, I guess you could say, or enjoying the, the creative process. Uh, I don't look at everything I do as work. I look at the client work and when I worked a day job, a lot of times meetings, the money stuff, you know, organizing, that's work. But when I'm creating stuff, especially for myself or when I'm creating stuff for this channel or doing a podcast, I don't look at those things as work. So even if I already worked, 
for a long time that day, six, eight hours or something. And then I have to do this other personal thing. It's more of like a hobby. I think we live in a weird space as designers and as creatives where our hobby or something we would do by choice is also the thing that sometimes we are forced to do as a job or have to meet deadlines of. And it creates this weird balance of like trying to escape and do the thing you love, but then also the thing that you love is the thing that you're escaping from. So it's a strange dilemma. So I think I think it's hard for me to give advice on this one because you need to find what works for you. If only working for four hours a day works for you and you still get everything done, it's amazing. Working for you know, every day for a few hours, but you don't take days off works for you. Cool. If you go really hard, you know, three, four days, 10 hours, 12 hours, and then you take the other days off. That's cool. You know, uh, I heard someone talking about like, this is like kind of a dumb analogy, but they were talking about whiskey there. There's this whole debate around whiskey on how you should drink it. Ice with the mixer, whatever, what's the best way in this uh, company, Buffalo that makes the whiskey like Buffalo trace. They asked the guy that created it, what's the best way to drink whiskey? And he said, the way that you like it. And so that's kind of how I look at what's the best way to balance your work life or the best way to handle your creative pursuits is do them how you think is fine. Don't worry about people saying, oh, you're going to burn out or people saying you need to work more. You're too relaxed. Like, who cares? All that matters is what you want to do and get it done the way you like so that enough of that one, I guess for now, but let's see, why did you decide to do a podcast and why do you continue to still do it? I first want to do the podcast, honestly, because from a selfish standpoint, I've always wanted to do a podcast. I think it's fun. I like talking to people and I, I, I kind of want to do one with the same person all the time, but didn't really work for the field I'm in and the lo- and like couldn't find someone that I thought that would work with. Then I liked doing it because I wanted to talk to all these people. You know, I would always wanted to talk to Aaron Draplin. I've always wanted to learn how uh, Keezy made Black Market, you know, things like that. I always wanted to learn um, from all these different designers and things and like their stories and how we are the same and how we are different. Um, You know, for example, like it was really cool talking with Harry Vincent and Dan Barkle together. You know, I would say we're pretty much friends now and knowing that they're kind of buddies and then realizing they never even met. Like that was a cool little story and like just having fun with them, like chopping it up. I like how different each of the podcasts are and I like the responses I get. And I love how it seems like every guest, there's a person that's super stoked on that one. And that's going to be their favorite. Like no matter who I have, they're like, oh my God, I can't believe you got this person. And like, that makes me happy to think that they really want to hear from this person. And either that person doesn't make their own video content or that person hasn't been on a podcast. And that's cool. And that's rewarding for me and for the audience. And also a lot of there was is other design podcasts and there always was, but I always felt like they focused on the people like Draplin and things, but they stopped there. They never, they stopped at the service level, the level they stopped, <laughs> they stopped at the service level and they didn't go past just the heavy hitters, you know? They went for the Avengers, and that was kind of it. They didn't experience everyone in the universe. And that's what a lot of people say they like about the podcast, too, is I have on these younger people and maybe people they can relate to more or people that have more of a mystery to them or people that have already been on 10 podcasts or been interviewed by the future a bunch of times. So that's cool, and that's why I continue to do it, because it's fun. Um, If it wasn't fun or if I didn't want to anymore, I wouldn't. And maybe that's like, 
maybe I should put a little bit more weight on it, but you know, I'm going to do what I want to do and I want to do this for now. So I, and I hope that it can continue to grow. So it doesn't, so it starts to, you know, generate money and then we can make it even cooler and better and just expand on it from there. And maybe I'll do some more solo shit like this. I don't know. Maybe you won't even like this. Maybe you will, but we'll see. The hardest part about recording a podcast. So to me, the hardest part is feeling comfortable in front of the camera or feeling comfortable talking to the other person for an extended period of time and knowing that as the host, you bear the burden of keeping the conversation good. If a podcast doesn't go well, in my eyes, it doesn't matter how short they were with their answers or maybe how standoffish someone was or how bad their opinions were on things or anything. I'm not saying that people have been like that, but if that was the case, it's on me. You know, I'm the one, I'm the host. I need to keep the train moving, you know, Um, like the Tribe Called Quest thing. I always reference, keep it moving. I always like to live by that. And That's the hardest part is I don't think that myself in public talking to people, small talk and things is my best um, attribute. And I think I find it hard sometimes to carry conversations in real life. But I think what's rewarding and challenging at the same time about the podcast is keeping that going like that. But I noticed with design and art and creativity and things like this and the internet culture and you know, NFTs, whatever it may be, I'm interested in all that stuff. So it's easy for me to kind of keep it going and and pivot. And I feel like I've gotten a lot better, which is cool. But I think that's the hardest part. I listen to some other podcasts and, you know, they'll have on great guests and they'll not know how to ask them interesting questions. They'll interrupt them. Um, That's one thing I struggled with early on. I got a comment. I remember on the first Harry Vincent podcast saying like, in a nutshell, like, shut the fuck up. I wanted to hear the rest of his answers. And I kind of got, you know, tilted by that. And I went and re-listened to it. And he thought, you know what? I was kind of interrupting him when I didn't let him finish. And then I get better at that. I learn. And there's a fine line between carrying the conversation if you need to, letting people talk, but not letting it drag on too long. I think there's a skill to it that I'm continuing to shape and grow. But overall, that's the hardest part is the communication stuff. Sometimes the technical shit's annoying and it can get hard, but that's not much. I'm sure I'd have a lot more gripes of that or gripes with that if I was doing the in-person studio and had a multi-cam set up and stuff. This next question is uh, tips or things that changed your workflow. This is, I guess, a little bit more design related. Biggest tip that changed my workflow. I don't know if it's a tip, but thing I did, adding more analog aspects into my design. Uh, created a lot more randomness, made it a lot more fun, made it a lot more haptic, tangible, doing more handmade collage. I really like that. Made my work a lot less replicable. You know, I wasn't using the same black market copy scan texture as everyone else. And, you know, I've done that. We all do that and we continue to, but I get it. Like it can, it's easy and it's accessible, but it's fun to do things in a way that, you know, you're only doing them that way. Um, non-destructive editing. It's my biggest tip It's creating smart objects, creating copies, never deleting files. Don't rasterize things if you don't have to um, create everything in 300 DPI or something, at least from the get go. So it's ready for print just in case you need it. Keep backup files like just, you know, trying to clear up space or make things run faster and stuff. I get that. 
but that's prioritizing like short term speed and comfort for like long term, you know, safety. I never want to have a file I can't edit or go back to, things like that. So I try to make sure all my editing is non destructive. If I, you know, if I rasterize or change type into an object, I create a copy that's still the editable text in case I want to go back and change it, things like that. Um, and then texture is a big one because it's one of my favorite things. And I think one of the things that helps my work stand out in one of my uh, skill sets, but trying to make sure it's not a crutch. I think that a lot of the day and age we use like texture and these effects and assets and things as a crutch that can kind of lift up a weak design to like okay enough for people to enjoy it where I think we should use that stuff as a little finishing touch not not the fundamental of the whole thing you know make sure your fundamentals and the poster and everything looks good you know in black and white if you have to or without texture or in its simplest form like make sure you check out the composition, check out the hierarchy, check out half your typography's tight, like things like that before adding like texture and little finishing touches because, you know, they can make a good design great, but they can make a shitty design look even shittier and weirder. You know, we've all seen people throw plastic texture on like a print flyer handout thing and that doesn't look good. So I'd say that's a big tip. Like make sure your fundamentals are there before anything. How did you come up with your personal style? Where do you look for references? Content wise, how do you decide what messages you want to put out into the world? Okay, that's a long one, but I don't really necessarily think I have a personal style. I think there's a little bit of me that runs through everything. And Fwa, when I did the podcast with her, helped me kind of realize that. And that helped with, you know, my confidence a little bit, honestly. And Maybe I do have somewhat of a style, but I didn't come up with anything. I don't know how I came up with things looking somewhat similar when I do them. I think just as you work over time, you start to replicate the same things that worked and find stuff that you like. And it's a kind of amalgamation of all the inspirations and stuff that you've seen over the years all put into your own little spin on it. For references, I always recommend, you know getting old books, magazines, reference material, just everything outside of graphic design world. Look at that for inspiration. Like don't go on Instagram for inspiration. Don't get me wrong. I love Pinterest and things like that, but you can easily fall into an echo chamber if you're only getting inspiration or reference for things that are in your own community. It's nice to look at other things, you know, anime, furniture, old magazines, you know, movie posters from back in the day, like, uh, fine art outside even like nature as inspiration all that stuff i think will help you look your stuff look less uh replicated as well as like those help you have ideas one thing i do for ideas also is just allowing my time to allowing myself to be bored a little bit and not have my mind stimulated by my phone so like going for walks and things i think of the best ideas on there and i'll write them down in my notebook then transfer them to like a Word doc or whatever later and then use those for reference and inspiration. And for messages, I mean, I just put out into the world whatever I'm feeling at the time. It can be, you know, bullshit. It could be a joke. It could be not so serious. It could be something serious. Not all the time, but sometimes I have important things to say. But I think having a message is important, but it has to be like, it doesn't have to be like something super intense all the time. It can just be the message is 
look at this um, thing that I was experimenting with or look at this new take on this color. Like that can be the message in itself. You don't have to be super deep or, or political about it all the time. Okay, getting a little tired. I'm used to talking to another person, but I've just been talking the whole time. So this last one is how do I get the name for Permanent Glue and any advice for naming a small studio? I got the name Permanent Glue on Modern Warfare 2. Call of Duty. I used to quickscope, used to be in clans, things like that. Yeah, I used to have a clan called Gods, and it was like we'd all have dumbass like Greek gods names. Gods Hades, that was mine. Gods Zeus, things like that. And I got really over it and like kind of embarrassed of it when I hit like the end of middle school or early high school whenever the kind of year after Modern Warfare 2 was out. So I was in the lobby and I asked someone like, what should I change my Xbox gamer tag to? And this guy I've only talked to once or twice. He was a friend of a friend. He said, oh, permanent glue. And I really liked it for some reason. And I did it. And then I was like, I just came back into the party. I played the 800 Microsoft points or whatever it was. And I changed it. Permanent glue. And then I, you know, in high school, I created Twitter, Instagram and all that jazz. And I thought, well, I'm just going to use my Xbox gamer tag. You know, it's probably uh, what I should do. Most people were using their names and things, but I wanted it to be, I thought it was cool. So I did permanent glue and then a lot of people started calling me glue. A lot of my college friends that I know or people I've met online, they just call me glue and I'm fine with that glue or Jesse or whatever. And I guess, you know, it, the name just stuck. It's cool, but I don't really think it matters too much, but I do like it. And I guess advice for naming a small studio, I think name it whatever, you know, you like, but my thing is I'm kind of against the idea of naming your an individual a studio. I learned this from John Contino. So if I were to make a studio, I wouldn't unless I had multiple members. I'm just Jesse Nyberg, the freelance designer. You know, I'm not a studio. I see a lot of people say, you know, I'm, you know, John Doe or whatever, independent studio from like London. And it's just one person. And like, I get it. You want to seem like very professional and stuff. But to me, and to what John Contino said that I really took to heart was say, it's just you. That's more impressive than saying you're a whole studio. Like you're, it's just you and you're doing design and you're doing art direction and you're offering photo services, naming, branding, whatever you're doing. Like that's cool. Why hide behind this idea that you're a studio if it's just you? So that's my advice there. And if you have a, if you want to put up a studio with multiple people, just name it something creative and fun. You know, I'd probably name it something similar to my name glue like super glue or some shit and just something kind of funny and maybe as least as pretentious as we try to be you know whatever you can figure out there but hopefully that kind of helps and thank you to everyone who submitted questions i really appreciate it and i'm really excited to continue the podcast let me know if you liked this solo episode i thought i wasn't going to have much to talk about but the questions definitely helped and once I get going, it's easy for me to ramble on. Um, and yeah, I hope that you enjoyed it. And thank you. I'm excited for all the new episodes to come out. I can't believe this is number 60. You know, we're over halfway to 100. Been doing this more for a year. I appreciate each and every one of you for either watching or listening. So that's it for now. Check out the podcast, subscribe, like, all that good stuff. And I'll see you next time for the guest episode. Peace. Peace.